Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. We are going to do as we typically do on a theme Sunday morning. We're going to go through the book of Acts. And uh, actually, this is the sermon I intended to preach a couple of Sundays ago uh, when we weren't able to be here. And so we're going to be going into the book of Acts around chapter 15, the end of chapter 15, as we continue on in the story. Uh, the stories that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, especially the stories of Lydia and the stories of the jailer, are fairly well-known stories that we are, uh, we've covered a lot, I would imagine. They are stories we turn to whenever we want to talk about uh, the stories of conversion, particularly the story of the Philippian jailer. And so we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, already known pieces of this story as we go through. Uh, but I do think in the context and the, and the narrative of what's going on, there's a couple of pretty interesting things that happened here in the beginning of this second missionary journey. Uh, first, as you get started in Acts chapter 15, you start with things going wrong. Uh, if you remember the story as we've built it, back in chapter 13, Paul uh, at that point, Saul and Barnabas, they head out to go on this, this journey. They've been uh, chosen by the Holy Spirit. They've been blessed by the congregation there in Antioch. Uh, Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas head out, and they, they have a, a difficult first missionary journey, but a fairly successful first missionary journey as they go through and they uh, just face persecution but also have a lot of successes. And so that's great. They get home. They stay home for a little while. We've got that little story in Acts chapter 15 where they uh, go to Jerusalem to get some answers regarding what to do about circumcision. But at the end of chapter 15, you've got this happen. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. You know, Paul, and, and I, I don't imagine this is hard to, to think about, Paul's concerned. He, he wants to go see these brethren again. He wants to go visit these churches. They've already been to establish the churches. They've gone back around their circuit in order to establish elders in all these churches. It's been a little while. Let's go back and visit. Let's go back and check on them. Let's go back and see how things are going. And so Barnabas is an agreement, it seems, but he wants to take John Mark with him. And Paul, remembering the last time they took John Mark with him, says, I don't think so. That's a bad idea. And it says here that they have a sharp disagreement. I, I don't know what all is entailed in that. I don't know... Uh, we, we don't tend to like to think of them as yelling at one another and getting upset and, you know, get, getting, getting very angry and not wanting to speak to one another and, you know, all those things we do today. I imagine they faced those same temptations back then that we face today. But we don't know what all is involved in sharp disagreement. What we do know is that it is a sharp enough disagreement 
that Paul and Barnabas decide they cannot go on this missionary trip together. That is a bad idea. Now, Barnabas still wants to go and serve the Lord, so he takes John Mark and goes his direction. Paul takes Silas and goes on his trip uh, to go back and visit all of these churches that he's already gone to. Uh, But you've got them parting ways. And I look at that little detail of this story and I think that that's the first glimpse of things going wrong. Up until now, all of the conflict that Paul and Barnabas have faced together has been them against the world or them against the Jews, them against the persecution, them against the obstacles that, that stand in their way. This is the first time we read of a rift happening between them. And I think that's telling for us because it lets us see, first of all, there's some lesson we can draw from that, but uh, it, it helps us to see that God's work is not always easy for a lot of different reasons. It's not always easy sometimes because you face obstacles in the world. People don't want to hear. People turn their, their a deaf ear to you. They don't, want to, they don't want to know about Jesus. They don't want to know about the gospel. They don't want to know about truth. But sometimes the obstacles, the hardest obstacles that we face are with one another. It, that we struggle to work together. And you see that here with Paul. Now, we do know that later on, they are able to mend their relationship. Particularly what you have is Paul makes some favorable comments towards John Mark himself. So not necessarily toward Barnabas, but toward John Mark. And so you do know that, that Paul is able to move beyond this, uh, this hesitation regarding the usefulness of John Mark. Uh, but it is telling to me as they get started, that's what we run into first. It's not persecution. It's not as we would think, okay, they're going to get back to Iconium and those Jews there in Iconium or Antioch or Pisidia, they're going to remember Paul and they're going to immediately start persecuting right away. That, that's not the first conflict this time. The first conflict is internal. And it is strong enough that it divides two Christians who have to go do their work separately. We'll come back to that. You've got Paul and Barnabas. They head out to Lystra and Derby, towns we've heard of before back in chapter 13 and 14, where they were successful, at least partially. Uh, we read here kind of a, a, a glimmer of hope again. He lost Barnabas. Barnabas went his other direction. But when he gets to Lystra and Derby, he hears about Timothy. And we know Timothy was a great friend of Paul's through the rest of his life. It says here, Chapter 16, verse 1, Paul went on to Lystra and Derbe, and there, where, excuse me, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since he knew that his father was a, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. 
referring back to the decision made in Acts chapter 15, for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So what you have here is he's gone back to the churches he's already been to. But you've got to remember, to keep the narrative in your mind, when he was preaching and teaching in Lystra and Derby, this was before they had received the decision of the apostles and the elders and the Holy Spirit regarding circumcision, and his job was to go and deliver that message to the churches. Well, he knew where the brethren were in Lystra and Derby, so it makes sense for him to go deliver that message that you do not have to become a Jew through circumcision before you can become a Christian in Christ or in baptism. And so he needs to go deliver that message to these, these brethren, and he does that job. He, he goes back to those cities. He strengthens the brethren. He delivers the message that he's supposed to deliver. And that's essentially the job he set out to do at the end of chapter 15. He wants to go back and visit the churches. He has now gone back to visit the churches. He's also gained a companion named Timothy who will help him in the work. What do you do now? He finished the job. That, that was what he was supposed to do. And I kind of wonder how much wondering Paul did on that. Okay, I delivered the message. I did what God wanted me to do. Uh, so let's, let's keep going. Let, let's do the job that, that we love to do. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, where they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, um, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Again, we're running into roadblocks. Paul wants to go preach. Paul wants to go into these regions that maybe uh, we don't know what their condition was at this point. It's not revealed. He's wanting to go east. He's wanting to go and share the gospel, likely where it has not yet been shared. He's wanting to expand the reach of Jesus in, in the world. And every time he sets out to go, what happens? He gets stopped. And it's interesting here. He gets stopped. We don't know exactly what manner he stopped, but the way it's recorded, he stopped by the Holy Spirit. And then when he wants to get to another place, he stopped by the Spirit of Jesus. He's stopped. He's not able to go. He is prevented. I, I don't know if that's a message overnight. I don't know if that's every time he set out to go buy supplies for a long travel, everything went wrong and he wasn't able to get what he needed. And it's like God just shutting door after door after door. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, okay, this is what I want to do, and I think I've got a good reason for doing it, but then for some reason it just, it just doesn't go. It, it doesn't happen the way you want it to. It, it's like God is shutting every single, what we think are open doors, God is just slamming them shut. And we're not able to go do what we think we're supposed to go do. Paul's response, it seems to me, is, well, then let's try something else. Nope, slam door. All right, let's try something else. Nope, slam door. All right, well, maybe over here. But eventually we know that God sends him a vision. We read of this vision here. 
It says there in verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, he immediately made efforts to set out from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It is amazing to me that all Paul wants to do is preach. He just wants to teach people. He wants to get out there and share the gospel. He wants to talk about Jesus to people who don't yet know Jesus. And he's willing to go to Asia. He's willing to go north. He's willing to go south, east. He's not sure where he's supposed to go because God keeps slamming all the doors shut. But he's going to go. And so when he receives this message, this vision of, hey, a man to the west says, hey, come over here and teach us, he immediately gets everything ready. He's heading out. He just wants to teach. I, I say that because I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I know one of the things that I've struggled with as a Christian over the years is it's not just that I want to do a good thing, it's that I have a particular idea of how I'm supposed to do that good thing, and I get myself married to this is the way it needs to be done. I've run into this, you know, been preaching now for over two decades. And I'll walk into a meeting with the men or into a meeting with the elders, and I will be absolutely committed to an idea. This is what we need to do. This is our next step. This is our plan. I've got it plotted out what we need to do every single week from now through the end of the year. This is the way we got to go. And all of a sudden, the answer, no. Nah. Nope. Not a good idea, no. And it devastates me. It gets me so upset because I'm like, why can't they see it? Because I get more excited about the plan, my plan, than I do about the work for God. You don't see that in Paul. At least we're not revealed that about Paul. Paul just wants to do what glorifies God. He just wants to serve him. He just wants to do the right thing to teach the people that God has prepared for him to teach. And he is willing for God to shut every door God needs to shut to point him in the right direction. And that's a really powerful lesson for you and me. Keep going through the story. Paul goes to Macedonia. At first, he goes, as you just look at the map, one of the first places you would go as you cross through uh, some of the little uh, juts of water in the landscape there, he gets to Philippi. He goes to Philippi, and he, he wants to, to find out if there are believers in the area. I, I can't imagine how difficult that was to do back then. You know, they had no, I'm going to date myself, they had no yellow pages. Uh, or now, these days, whitepages.com. They didn't have that back then. They, they had no way of just looking up Church of Christ in the area. You'd, you'd go to a town, and you'd have to start investigating. You'd have to start asking a lot of questions, and potentially a lot of dangerous questions. 
in order to find people who were like you, who were like-minded, who believed in the same Jesus that you believed in, you'd have to go into town and, and find those people. Well, he does that. They go to this Roman colony. They stayed in the city for several days. On the Sabbath day, they went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, that, that could be a significant detail for us because notice in most other places when Paul goes into a city, and he says this over in chapter 17, he, he would go into a town, into the synagogue for several days or for several weeks. He doesn't go to a synagogue in this town. He goes to the riverside. And according to Jewish tradition, if there was not enough Jewish men in a particular town, they would not put a synagogue in that town. And the way, kind of the fallback plan to having your own building where you could meet and study the law to go to the riverside. You would go to a kind of a out-of-the-way place outside of town where you could meet together and pray and talk about God. That was kind of the regular practice. And the fact that Paul here in Philippi goes outside the town to the riverside, supposing that there'll be people there to pray, means that there's probably not a large Jewish community here at least an established Jewish community, and one where there were enough men who could establish a synagogue. Well, while there, he, he meets a woman named Lydia. You know, I've heard me make this point before. I, I find it interesting that the vision he receives is a Macedonian man saying, come teach us. When he gets there, all he can find is a woman. That, that had to be disheartening. That had to be frustrating. You know, he's going to teach, and he's not finding anyone to teach. He goes to the riverside. He meets this woman. It says here she is a God-fearing woman. And so he shared the gospel anyway. And, uh, and in sharing the gospel, he's able to teach this woman uh, what it means to belong to and she responds to that. It says, after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Paul's there to stay for a little bit. He's staying in the house of this woman. He's just baptized and her family, probably continuing to teach her, but he's still reaching out to people in this community, in the city of Philippi. He goes out in the city, and he, he's trying to teach people. He's trying to find people who are willing to listen to the gospel. And what he finds instead is another girl. But this time it is a girl who's, who's been captured by a demon, and she is going around, she is being used as a slave by some owners to go and tell the people's future. And so she is following Paul and Silas around, and she is proclaiming uh, there that these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation, they are the servants of the Most High God. Well, yay, free publicity, right? I mean, that's fantastic until you consider the source. Here's a demon-possessed girl proclaiming that they are servants of a Most High God which if you're being told that by someone possessed by a demon, which most high God are you assuming she's talking about? 
She, she is known for being somebody who can give answers, but, but you kind of wonder how much people are, are paying attention to this. Well, it, it, it's frustrating. It, it's another obstacle standing in the way of Paul being able to do his job and getting the gospel out to people. So he cast the demon out of this young girl, which makes her owners furious because they've lost their source of income. And so they have Paul and, Barnabas, or and Silas arrested. Can you imagine the amount of obstacles they're facing here? How, you know, how discouraging this would be? I mean, you've given yourself to this job. You're willing to go anywhere God wants you to go. You're willing to talk to anybody who needs the gospel, but people aren't showing up. There's nobody there to hear. There's nobody there to receive the message. How are you going to be successful when the best you've been able to do is help this single lady down by the riverside in her household. I mean, you, you, you just, there's not a whole lot of, of success here. And then you get thrown in jail. I can't imagine living back in these days and the amount of dis- discouragement that was involved. Especially considering how easily I find myself shut down by discouragement in our modern day when I'm not facing doors slammed the way he was. I'm not facing sharp disagreements with somebody who was a close friend. I'm not facing uh, having no success whatsoever, it seems. I'm not facing being thrown in jail. And I still get discouraged, don't you? Don't you find yourself frustrated sometimes where you're like, well, fine, I, I just, I, I don't even want to try. Paul and Barnabas, you know the story. They're in jail, and what are they doing? Weeping, crying out about injustice. All we did was cast the demon out of the girl. We didn't do anything wrong. I mean, they're not... They're not crying out foul. They're not upset with anybody. They're not uh, making, making a big stink about the injustice and, and how the government's just oppressing them and, and, and just how everything has just gone, to, gone, gone horrible and, and that things are just looking down and nothing ever works out. No, they're, they're singing praises. They're sitting in the jail, and it says that they are about midnight, praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners, the other prisoners, were listening to them. If I were one of those other prisoners, I might have been yelling at them, not listening to them. Be quiet. It's late. We want to go to bed. They're listening. They're enthralled. They're amazed. Here are two men who've been arrested, and instead of crying out and banging on the bars, they're they're singing and praying. And it has an amazing effect because when God brings a miracle, he causes the earthquake, he causes the jail cells to open, the shackles to fall off, and the jailer wants to kill himself because he knows a worse punishment will be for him if he gets caught having let a a whole prison full of full of uh, inmates loose. Paul says, no, no, don't kill yourself. We're, we're all here. We're all still here. And the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And of course, Paul 
uh, tells him, uh, believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. He spoke the word to him. Uh, he goes out and the jailer washes Paul's wound and Paul baptizes him and his family after teaching them. And so you've got this beautiful story of how God takes a very dire circumstance and turns it into good. And, and we're used to those kind of stories. I, I don't know that we always put ourselves in Paul's shoes the way we should. Could you imagine just how discouraged he should be, but instead he is encouraged and strengthened and rescued by the Lord again? Because that's the kind of God we serve. And so he, he's able to teach the jailer. I find this interesting. The next morning, when the sun comes up, Paul's back in jail. I don't know if you've ever let that sink in. Paul was set free by God. The, the earthquake happened, the jail cells opened, but when morning comes, Paul and Silas are sitting in a jail cell. They don't run off. They don't get out and do their teaching and baptize a man and then go off to their own place. They go back into jail and put themselves at the mercy of the government in order to uh, expect God's rescue again. The only reason I can think to do that is because they were protecting the jailer. That's the only reason I can think of. Every other time when Peter's let loose back in Acts chapter 12, does he stick around? No, he gets out and he goes. But Paul here goes back into jail and waits for morning. And they get there, and of course, the city offers them an official apology. It says there that, um, let me get down to... When the daylight comes, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have ordered for you to be released. But Paul says, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens and threw us into a jail. And now they're going to send us away secretly? I don't think so. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us. I, I, now, again, there, there's a lot of logical reasons why Paul would expect that. Uh, one is, I mean, here, he has a reputation to uphold. You know, if, if he is getting out of jail secretly, but he was publicly flogged, well, then everybody's going to assume that Paul is guilty and now he's a fugitive. And he go, no, uh, we want to be publicly seen as being set free because we did nothing wrong. Uh, he is concerned about his reputation. But ultimately, I find it, it a, a great expression of his faith. You know, he, he isn't just saying, okay, yeah, we'll take what we can get. No. No. We're, if we're going to be successful in this town, we're going to be, uh, have the right reputation. We're going to make sure that we're treated correctly. We're going to make sure that things go the way they should. And so he gets out. He is escorted out of jail. They go back to Lydia's house. They encourage the brethren, and then they move on. And we'll stop the story there and continue it 
in a couple of weeks uh, with chapter 17. But a couple of lessons for us real quick as we um, wrap this up this evening. One is this. Even sharp disagreements between brethren can lead to God's glory if we keep our focus on God. Disagreements are going to occur because we are people and because we're different and we have different personalities and different backgrounds and different ideas of how things should be done. And you're going to get disagreement over trivial things like what kind of carpet should we put into a classroom or should we hang a TV and where or any of those kind of just trivial issues. But we're also going to have major issues. We're going to have where this person has sinned against me. This person has mistreated my family. This person has done something ugly and offensive to me. And we've got to work through that. And I mean work through that not only in the sense that we typically use that word uh, or that phrase. We've got to work through that with that person. But we have to continue working even when there's a disagreement going on, because God's work is more important than our feelings. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. Turn me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5. We're told here, do we have the right to be accompanied by believing wives like our other apostle, the Lord's brother, and see, uh, let me show him. Oh, verse 6 is what I'm looking for. Or do not, do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Now, I find that interesting because he writes that here in 1 Corinthians, which he doesn't write until after this point in the book of Acts. So at some point, because of what we read here, we can know that Paul and Barnabas are working together again. Because Paul uses Barnabas and speaks to him as if he is a partner in the work in, in writing this letter and writing this explanation as to the fact that they can work together. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. having a hard time turning the pages. I had to get a new Bible because my old man eyes could no longer read the verse numbers in my old Bible, and I found myself doing this while I was preaching, and so I had to get a new Bible with nice, big verse numbers. All right, so Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greeting, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. What's, what's Paul's opinion of Mark at this point? When he writes this letter, sitting in a jail cell, much later in his ministry, what you have him saying is, hey, if he comes, he's good. He's golden. Make sure you accept him. Make sure you allow him to work with you. Well, would he recommend that to somebody else if he wouldn't have been willing to work with Mark himself? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 
Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. And so again, you've got Paul making some, some very favorable comments toward John Mark. I don't know that he would have said those two things back in, in, in Acts chapter 15. I don't know that he would have spoken favorably about John Mark's work ethic, about John Mark's usefulness, about John Mark's ability to be a favorable asset to the work. Because I don't know that he believed that at that point. He didn't want John Mark with him because John Mark, he was a traitor. He, he was a deserter. He was somebody who wasn't committed. And yet he changes his mind on that. We've got to be willing to change our mind about people. We've got to be willing to, whenever we do have a disagreement, we've got to be willing to make sure that we are, are willing to forgive that in the future. I have seen brethren hold grudges for decades before. I, I have seen brethren, even within a congregation, go, well, you know, uh, Brother Smith over here is, is being put up for, to possibly be an elder. And, and Brother Jones over here says, well, I, I'm never going to serve him. I remember back 30 years ago when he lost his temper and stormed out of the building and he said that ugly thing to me. Move on. Forgive. Be willing to realize people grow up and mature. People change. People are able to move beyond their, their struggles and their weaknesses and their immaturities and their ignorances, and we've got to be willing to let them do that. We've got to be willing to reconcile those relationships. And God places such a great importance on that that God even says, if you know your brother has some offense against you, you are to leave your sacrifice on the altar and go reconcile yourself to your brother and then come back and offer your sacrifice. I wonder sometimes if that's not part of the examine yourself regarding the Lord's Supper. Is there something that you've got, some hindrance, some struggle you have between you and brethren, you and some past event that you need to deal with and reconcile before you continue in worship to your God? We've got to be willing to deal with those things and move beyond them. I think a second lesson here, and we already talked about this briefly, but sometimes God has a different plan than we do. I, I have lived that multiple times. I, I hate moving. I hate it. I, I used to not mind it so much. I mean, I grew up moving a lot, so it was never that big of a deal when, when Tiffany and I first got married. And, you know, we were going to, you know, I had never intended to preach, never wanted to be a preacher, but I somehow fell into preaching, and God's plans were different than my plans. So we started working with a church. We were there for quite a while. Things were going very well. Things were successful, and all of a sudden, we were moving. And we've moved again, and we've moved again, and we've moved again. Don't worry, I have no plans to move right now. But it, 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 it's one of those, I also can't necessarily buckle down and say, okay, I don't care what God wants. This is where I'm staying. Can I? I mean, if God 
start shutting doors and making it abundantly clear that I've got to go a different path than what I have planned to go in, shouldn't I respond to that? Shouldn't I be willing to let God lead as well as I know to let God lead? We've got to be willing to accept that God's plans are different than ours sometimes. And sometimes that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I am pretty sure Paul, who wanted to go to Asia, and when that door was shut, he's going, why? Why would you shut that door? That needs to happen. But he doesn't. We don't read of that, at least. We've got to be willing to accept God's plans for us in our future and let God shut certain doors and open other doors. We've got to be willing to hold our life loosely so that God can direct us. Another lesson is that we've got to choose to do what's best for God and others and not ourselves. You know, I, I don't know if there was any sort of conversation between Paul and Silas when Paul says, hey, all right, let's go chain ourselves back up. I mean, if I'm Silas, I'm going, what? Uh, That was not on my list of things to do tonight. Like, I I don't want to go back in there. But Paul does. And Paul does that not because it's best for himself, necessarily, but because it was best for God and preserving his reputation to be able to teach in the city, it was best for the jailer so that he would not be punished for letting prisoners go. We've got to be willing to do the hard thing and trust that God will work out the details. And I think sometimes that, that's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to put ourselves aside what we want, what's comfortable for us, for the sake of letting God put us in some pretty uncomfortable situations so that he can be glorified through them. And uh, I, I don't know of a way around that. If God says, this is what I want, then we've got to say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. Paul, as a, as a historical figure, as a hero of our faith, is one of those characters that has always just amazed me because he's willing to do, honestly, what I'm not. He's willing to go places that I, I, I don't think I would. I mean, I, I'll be honest, when, when we go to thinking, or went to thinking about where we were going to move, just two and a half years ago, two or three years ago, my first consideration in doing that was where's good for my kids? That's the first thing I started thinking about. That, now again, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's also not really letting God have complete control. I'll be honest, one of my standards was You'll laugh at this. Where has good singing? <sighs> I mean, I've, I've worshipped places where you, you cringe more than you worship in, in the middle of a service because, wow, your ears can only handle so much. I mean, I, but that's selfish of me, is it not? It, it's selfish of me to put my sense of, uh, of, of musical appreciation above God's need 
for where I should be. And, and I think while those might not be your examples, you probably have examples too of where you have placed your needs over what God wants you to do. And we've got to be very cautious about that. Paul doesn't do that. You want to know the reason Paul is such a, a giant in our lives and, and the way that we understand the early church? The reason his story sounds so loudly to us, where it's so important to us, it is because he was willing to do what very few were willing to do. And maybe we should take a leaf out of that book. Maybe we should be the same way, to be willing to do what God wants us to do. As we've said again and again, this, this story in the book of Acts is an incredible story. It, it, it just, I honestly, every time we, we dig through it, every time we look at it, I, I walk away from it going, I need to do so much better. And I hope you do too. I hope you see this example of, of, of Paul and say, you know what? I might have had disagreements with people in the past. I'm going to fix them. Or I might have some event that's happened in the past that I don't like the way that was handled. I, I'm going to get past it and I'm going to move on and do what's best for God. Or it might be, I, I don't know where God wants me to go next. I have a big life change coming up. I, I, need, to, I need to figure out what God wants me to do and start praying about it and being willing to do what God wants you to do. I don't know what your struggle is, but I, I can almost guarantee you you'll find an example in the book of Acts of how you should handle those struggles. And uh, it, it really is such an incredible story. To wrap up this evening, let me, let me offer to you the same thing that Paul offered to the Philippian jailer. If you still need to be saved, that begins by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that belief is going to lead you to want to change your life. It's going to lead you to want to fix your past mistakes, like that jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. It's going to cause you to want to obey in baptism. But all of that comes from believing. And I hope if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God you'll be willing to commit yourself to him. Let him be in control of your life, and he will do amazing things with you. If you, can, uh, if you need to respond, and you need to get your life right, either through prayers of the saints here or through being baptized into Christ, we want you to as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.